Greetings to all my cool cats and cool kittens. They try to copy our style, but they stay frostbitten. You are now tuning to the sounds of MaximumFM.ca. It is your man, DM Cool, and this is Cool Radio. What we doing? You can catch me on your TV, even on the radio. Pop up at a blind spot, and I'm like, we go. We in bitten airwaves. Cool. Yes, yes, y'all, welcome to the show. Once again, it is your man DJ Mante, aka GM Cool. And we have another live edition of Cool Radio for you guys tonight. Man, there's so much to discuss right now, man. I gotta talk about LeVar Ball and him charging $495 for a sneaker of a player who hasn't even been proven yet. I also got to talk about the offseason for the Raptors and what it's shaping out to be and, you know, what went wrong during the playoffs, et cetera, et cetera. But before we get into all of that, ain't even time to let that just breathe yet. We're starting off the show right off the bat with a special guest. You guys already know and love him. He's been through the show many times, both on CFRV and here at Maximum FM. He is a, what I like to call, a Cool of Fame member of Cool Radio. He goes by the one and only Goliath Pot, a.k.a. Mr. You Know Whoa. I think the last time he came through here was... Um, Shoot, when was that? I think late 2016, maybe, I'm thinking. So uh, what have you been up to uh, since that time? Goddamn, has it been that long, sir? I think it has. I think it has. But I know it could be failing me, but I could be wrong. Man, I, I've been living under a rock, but you know what? It's time to come out. It's time to show everybody what I got. You know, everywhere I go, every time I come home, wherever, the events, you know, my shows, they're always asking me, yo, where's the new music? What's going on? Where, where's the latest singles? And I had no answer, but, you know, I locked myself in the studio for the last year and a bit. And um, I got I got my album next month, so right now we're promoing the teaser. What's the teaser? It's a four-track, high-octane project. You know, all, uh, all of, um, I wouldn't say club bangers, but you can bang them in the club. But it's more street anthems, stuff to get you hyped. So I'm promoting that right now. It's a little prelude to the album of what you can expect. Right, right, most definitely. And you say that has a more street tone to it. Is that a little bit of a departure from what you're, what you, uh, what you've normally normally been giving like the the fans and the listeners? Yeah, Mr. Rock Pop and Hip Hop. That's what they want to call me. But you know, I had to uh, kind of zero in on one part of it just to show these cats I can still rap and hang with the best of them, um, and just kind of like you know explore that other side of myself as well. I always wanted to be like you know just on a straight rap record and kind of do what what's popular in music now within hip hop, but still put my own style in it. But the album is still going to be a lot of the uh, genre bending, you know. A lot of the pop music, a lot of the, the rock in there. Because, you know, I play the full band, so we got to be able to do it all at once, not just one sound. Absolutely. And I feel like a, a lot of rappers in particular who kind of go like the, the pop route or maybe like the, uh, uh, I would say, the alternative route or whatever the case may be, they always have it in them that they want to show that they still have um, a bit of their, you know, roots within hip-hop still attached. So is that kind of how, how you approach the, this project? Yeah, that's that's kind of how I approached it. You know, I kind of I kind of fell into that. You know, that whole B.O.B. played me in the strip club. But um, at the end of the day, you got to stay true to yourself, and you got to do what what music uh, suits you best, what you're the most comfortable with. So, absolutely. And plus, you don't want to be B.O.B. This guy is out here thinking that the Earth is flat, man. <laughs> we all know the the Earth is round, man. That <laughs> he never came back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was the last time you heard from him, man. <laughs> what? But uh, yeah, let's continue the, the discussion, man. Um, as we all know, not only are you artists, but you're, you're the co-founder and co-owner of uh, 
um, of your own record label, basically. Um, so with the with the way our music is being distributed now through streaming, for example, um, as an artist and also as like the business mind, uh, do you think like do you think it's more important to release singles, albums, or a little bit of both? I think as of right now, if you're an up and coming artist, I think it's very important to release singles. It's a singles market. You know, iTunes changed the game with that. They came out of nowhere selling singles for 99 cents, and the album, you know, it went away. Um, Wayne and them, they came out with the mixtapes and stuff. You can see uh, mixtapes are coming back a little bit, but it's more about the albums too. But if you're an up-and-coming artist, you want to be dropping singles all day. You want to be dropping videos all day. You want to stay on social media and stay on people's timelines so that they can get used to you and, uh, you know, eventually check out your stuff and you know, hopefully gain some fans that way. Right. And, you know, with you, you know, putting your own work through your own label and what have you, like how, is that, how does that play as a factor with, with your streams and what have you? It's awesome, man, because we release everything. We, we, we control our own content. You know, there's there's no uh, man in a suit telling me what I can and can't do. And the best part of all, all the profits come back to me. Absolutely. Now, speaking of the man in the suit, let's talk about a little man in the suit business. Um, so Lil Yachty uh, made a, a few headlines this week when he w- was on the Complex show entitled um, uh, Everyday Struggle, basically. So he's being interviewed by DJ Academics and Deska and, of course, Joe Budden. Now, while he was being interviewed by them, uh, the discussion of the 360 deal came up and he said that he didn't know whether or not he was in the 360 deal. So as an artist... In your opinion, does not knowing the details of your deal lead to a quicker downfall? Does knowing or not knowing? I, I, yeah, you gotta, you gotta know what kind of deal you signed up for. You have to know everything down to like, you know, the the, the small writing because it, it's a small writing that's gonna screw you in the end. You know, you got a five album deal, but there might be a stipulation and they drop you at any time, or they might even just shelf you and then you can't get a deal for the next ten years. I've seen that happen to a lot of artists. So little Yachty not knowing that he's in a three sixty deal that they take a little bit of everything that he makes is is kind of kind of foolish to me. I saw the interview, and I think he knew. I think he just didn't want to admit it to Joe Budden because Budden was, like, riding him really hard. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Yachty came from nothing. So, I mean, if if you're coming from nothing and you don't really have enough of a push already, then you're going to sign that 360 deal. There really is no choice. See, the funny thing is, like, and I, and I watched the interview as well, the entire thing, and it's not like, I don't want to say he came from nothing, but, like, he had a little bit of a foundation because he even stated himself, like, he kind of grew up in the suburbs, like, living at home with both his mother and father in the household, which is a rare story, like, when you hear in hip-hop because it's usually a single-parent household and what have you. Um, But he did say, like, he didn't really have a whole lot of money to his name, like, as far as, like, when he went to college. Like, girls weren't really checking him out, what have you. So I do get it, like, when when the opportunity jumps at you to sign a record deal, you you, you just you know, put your name on the dotted line, but because of what history has showed us for the last 30 years in hip hop, as far as the business aspect, you would think that one would at least inquire on what they're signing, because if you're signing, you know, uh, signing off on like tuition loan or or anything like that, you're going to look at it. Or if you're signing off on, you know, uh, uh, like, uh, like, uh, living with, with like a roommate, for example, you're going to sign off on what needs to be signed off on. So like, do you think that it was despite his age, what have you being age 19 or 20, it was still a huge mistake for him not to inquire on that. 
Yeah, no, it's definitely a mistake, especially him saying that he's coming from college. Like, he's a smart enough kid to know, especially, you know, growing up. He said he's Soldier Boy is his favorite rapper and all those. Like, those are the kids who grew up watching Soldier Boy. So, like, <laughs> they know how Soldier Boy got screwed and everything. They know how the record industry is. So I really don't buy the fact that he was saying that he didn't know. Like I said, I think he didn't want to admit it. But even if he didn't know, then, well, goddamn, he knows now. Yeah, he sure does. And if um, if they take a little bit of a spread endorsement here and there, then he's definitely going to know for sure. Exactly. Right. Uh, let's let's move on to something a bit more broad now. So um, over the last, I would say, last at least the last year, I want to say, a lot of artists like Drake and Jadena and like more recently, well, yeah, Wally's been doing it for a minute now. Uh, a lot of these artists are using like the Afrobeat sound these days. So it's very reminiscent to when a lot of artists in like the uh, early to mid-2000s were using the uh, the dancehall sound uh, for their records. So right now, it's basically the new wave. Um, I would say Drake has been the one to have popularized it, you know, to be fair. But um, with that said... How long do you think that's going to last? I think it'll last as long as the leader wants it to last. So, you know, it's it's music. Everyone plays follow the leader. Drake saw a little bit of success in it, so everyone's going to jump the gun and be like, hey, if he can make a few dollars, so can I. But as soon as he decides to change up his style again, because, I mean, every Drake album is kind of different but still sounds the same, um, you know, we're going to see a whole new different different type of music again. Right, right. And, like, I do hear some people, you know, using claims of, like, cultural appropriation and what have you. I mean, what's your take on that? I think I think it's all dumb. You know what I'm saying? Like, they say, oh, white artists come through here and, and take black music. Okay, so what about the Drakes? What about, you know, the Rihannas? What about the black artists who borrow from black music as well? I say music has no skin color, has no race. Um, you can do whatever you want to do, make whatever you want to make, and the people who gravitate towards it will gravitate towards it. I do understand the flip side of it, and I get it. But at the same time, I think we're just, you know, people want to protect the culture, and I admire that. But, you know, this is a business, man, and, and that's just how business goes. Absolutely. And, like, me personally, I kind of find that the culture, the cultural appropriation argument gets thrown way out of proportion i feel like people use it to their own benefit or for their own narrative because you can judge one artist for doing something but then you can completely ignore what a certain artist is doing just because they fit the stereotypical description so like people will, will get at eminem for being a white rapper but then they won't but they'll ignore the fact that rick ross is portraying the role of a drug dealer something that's pretty prevalent within the black community in america and it's kind of advocating towards that stereotype basically but they'll they'll turn a blind eye to that because of the fact that he makes bangers and stuff like that so that's why me personally i'm not a fan of the ca argument because i feel like it's been so watered down as you as you stated basically it's all just noise at this point to be honest they just do it for the retweets and the likes Right, right, definitely. I mean, and there's some, there is some cases where the the argument is legit, but then there's other cases where it's petty. Like I remember one time, and I'm not gonna say this person's name, but I remember one time a friend of mine said how Eminem, uh, Eminem culture appropriates because he wears a do rag. I mean, like, come on, like, like, get 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 a better argument than that, man. Like, come on. Yeah, really. But they, they say they give Eminem a pass because they said he's from the trailer park, right? But what if he was from the suburbs, you know? Man, music is music. If you know how to rap and you can make people feel something, then go ahead and do it. Absolutely, absolutely. If you got the talent, then let it shine. Um, and then before we let you go, actually, I couldn't not have you discuss something that we both know and love and have many debates on uh, on a regular basis. Um, Cavs and Warriors, it's pretty 
obvious at this point that they're on a collision course for the NBA Finals for the third straight year in a row. Um, who you got in how many games? You already know I got my boy LBJ, a.k.a. Kim James, a.k.a. LeBron James, the future of basketball, man. What kind of question is that? <laughs> oh, a future of basketball. I mean, he's been in the league for like 14 years. Man. I think yeah. I think his time is now. <laughs> you know what they did last year? Down 3-1, they did the impossible, man. They're riding that, they're riding that wave. But, yo, check it. After what uh, San Antonio did to Houston, man, I think San Antonio might go all the way. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's a possibility, but they need Kawhi Leonard. I mean, they... Um, so we don't know how long he's going to be out for, but he was out uh, for the, the last like six minutes of of that of that game five, and then he was out for game six entirely. Um, they took care of business against a Houston team that was a little bit, I want to say, premature because I think they overachieved and they didn't really have any answers, especially when you know your best player and the MVP candidate in James Harden uh, goes like he just performed terribly on the field, was passing up shots he normally wouldn't pass up, and even fouled out of the game, something that he hasn't done this entire season. So I think they took advantage of their immaturity in that regard. Uh, against Golden State, however, like they're going to need all hands on deck because... Uh, yeah, for sure. Golden State, they're just going to run, gun, and shoot the lights out. So it's going to be crazy. Pretty much. And San Antonio pretty much plays their style, but a more refined version of it, if anything. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But uh, how many games do you, do you have Cleveland in? What, the finals? Yeah. Um, I have Cleveland in, like, six. Cleveland in six, eh? Okay, okay. It's going to be a close one, man. It's going to be a very close one. I, I hear that. I was, I'll say this, man. I feel like... Every time we've seen Golden State and and uh, Cleveland perform, like in this season, which has only been two games, really. Yeah. If Cleveland, like Cleveland, won on Christmas Day, but they won by a close, close margin, so for them to have their perfect game against Golden State, they have, or, or sorry, for them to win against Golden State, rather, they have to play a perfect game, and when they do, it's only going to be by a close margin. But if Golden State wins, they win in blowout fashion. So basically, it really depends on who has their perfect game. That's what it really comes down to. Exactly. No, I totally agree with you. But man, you know, basketball games are won on buzzer beaters and one point. So a win is a win. That's true. That's true. Uh, Goliath, man, thank you so much for calling, man. And uh, when can people expect the teaser? Hey, man, thanks for having me, as always, man. It's always a pleasure. Teaser's already out now. www.goliathpod.com. Also, where you can find me, twitter.com slash goliathpod. Tweet me. Tweet what you think about the album. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to be releasing my album, The Pop Print, uh, next month. So I'm in the studio locked on for that one. All right, most definitely. Once again, Goliath Pop, thank you very much, and we'll hear from you soon, all right? Appreciate it, brother. Have a good night. All right, my man. All right. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, that was Mr. Rock Pop and Hip Hop Goliath Pop. You know, whoa. And we're about to go into a commercial break. And during that commercial break, actually, we're going to play one of his uh, latest uh, singles off of the teaser, and this one's entitled In and Out. When we come back from the break, we got some Raptors to discuss, man. The free agent moves that are going to be happening, who they should sign, who they shouldn't sign, who should they let go, and who should they trade, all that and more. Raptor, these messages you already know. Yeah. You're listening to Maximum FM Hip Hop. Uh, yes, yes, y'all. Welcome back to the show. Once again, it is your man, DM Cool, and this is Cool Radio. <clears throat> Pardon me. Once again, that was your man, Goliath Paul, with in and out off of his latest project, Entitled The Teaser. Uh, he just uh, We just had an interview with him, so shout-outs to him. Uh, but, yeah, most definitely make sure you check out his music, Great Artist. Now, normally I don't, you know, push this uh, drop at this section of the show, 
But because it's really, it's literally been like a week since, or almost a week since this happened, I really haven't gotten to discuss this on a wide forum. And I know it's old news by now, but screw it. I don't care. It's my show. Let's wait for this train to go by. I should have closed that window. Uh, yeah, whatever. It's, it's going by. Okay, anyways. So, yeah, I should have waited. Or, sorry, no. Um. Yeah, I should have discussed this earlier, but I couldn't because obviously we do our shoes, we do our shoes Friday, et cetera, et cetera. Anyways, I'm pushing the button right now. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to let that just breathe. Let this bitch breathe. I'm about to let this ish breathe on the Toronto Raptors. Now, we already know they uh, got swept by the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers. My tongue is twisted right now. Um, and they lost their final game against them 109 to 102 last Sunday at the Air Canada Center. Now, suffice to say, that was their best game of the series. However, it was a case of too little, too late. Now, we knew, you know, from the season's end that we'd have to face up against the Cleveland Cavaliers. But the difference between last year and this year is that this year we were built to at least put up a fight against the Cleveland Cavaliers. And clearly that did not happen. Like, they ran roughshod over us. I mean, the first two games, and I hate to say this as, like, a fan, but we kind of expected to get dealt with based on what happened last year against them in the conference finals. And this year, we had, well, depending on who you ask, for me, I was hoping that we could get two games out of that series and those two games, you know, being at home and what have you. So I was hoping it would be somewhat of a repeat of last year, but with more of an effort, basically. And as we all know, we didn't get that. We did not get that at all. We got a team that was stargazing, literally and figuratively. They were like, oh, my God, look at LeBron. Oh, my God. Like, instead of making history, they wanted to witness history. And that was the problem. Um, you saw the way they played. They looked as if they had no faith in themselves whatsoever. They looked as if they didn't belong on the same court as LeBron, Kyrie, Kevin Love, and company. They just looked as though they were outmatched. They looked like an AAU team that was looking kind of spry. Um, they looked as if they were just there for the ride, and that was not the team that we were expecting to see. And no one said it better than Raptors' president, Masai Ujiri, who is always the abbots of the group, basically. Um, and he basically said to himself, he said, like, that wasn't a team that I've seen before. Like, I didn't know who that team was. And I think he said it in the most constructive way possible because they were playing like shells of them former selves. And, you know, with all due respect to all the players involved and what have you, it's not what the fans signed up for. We didn't, you know take days off of work or we didn't pay hundreds of dollars to fill the ACC to see performances like that. I mean, granted, they tried their best, but they could have done a, a bit better uh, considering like the circumstances and how they've been here before. They're more of like a veteran team now. And, you know, regardless if it was against Cleveland or the Bucks or whatever, again, they went through another spell of losing the first game of the series. And now they're 1-12 in, in their playoff history in game ones. And that's the worst by far in NBA history. So I'm not sure what's in this team's DNA as far as not showing up to the first game of a series. I don't know why Lowry kind of gets a little, you know, absent during the playoffs. Like he has a great regular season, but then the playoffs, he's a little wishy-washy. And then the Raptors as a whole, 
like they just rely on ISO offense in the playoffs. You can't get that done in the playoffs. Regular season, you can get away with that depending on who you're playing. But at the end of the day, when you are in a seven-game series against another team that's going to be watching game tape of you night in and night out to figure out where to make your stops and your transitions, you can't keep relying on the same hand over and over again. It becomes redundant, repetitive, and it becomes predictable. So that leads me into what the Raptors should do come this offseason. Once draft day hits, which is usually June 28th, like late June basically, that's when trans- transactions are being made as far as trades are concerned. And then July 1st, D-Day. That's when people are getting signed left, right, and center. So last year, or last offseason rather, it was for the most part an uneventful offseason. We re-signed DeMar DeRose, and we did that like hours after you know 12 o'clock uh, hit the cl- uh, 12 o'clock basically, and then we let Bismack Biombo go, uh, and that was expected because of the fact that he was expecting a huge payday, and we weren't trying to really go over the over the cap for a reserve player. No disrespect to him, but this year, who this year is entirely different. So not only do we have impending free agents that were already in the books in regards to Kyle Lowry and Patrick Patterson, but we also absorbed contracts uh, during the trade deadline in Serge Ibaka and P.J. Tucker that were you know, somewhat considered as rentals, basically. But the plan, you know, according to Masai, is that he wants to sign Serge Ibaka long-term. He said that the moment that they acquired him for, from Orlando, uh, they didn't, he didn't uh, elaborate on P.J. Tucker, but I assume that they want to sign him as well because of the fact that he literally – in my opinion, single-handedly changed the culture of the team defensively. He was scrapping for loose balls. He was commanding people on the defensive edge to get to their assignments. He challenged DeMar DeRozan respectfully, of course, to be more active on the defensive end, and DeMar accepted that challenge. So you would think that he's going to be one of the guys to come back. But let's not – I don't want to get ahead of myself right now. Let's break down who I think stays and who I think goes. Or should stay, should go, however you want to phrase it. So before we get to that, um, I want to get to Larry and DeRozan in particular, the uh, the the locker cleanup, as they called it, the locker cleanup press conference. So they each had some is- interesting words to say about what transpired uh, during the, the loss to the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers. So DeMar DeRozan, immediately after their loss, uh, he basically said, you know, if we had a LeBron, that we would have won as well. Now, mind you, a lot of people took that way out of context because that was in response to a question that was asked about him in regards to what they were missing and what they were lacking and how do you stop LeBron James or what have you. So when he made that response, is in a very tongue-in-cheek manner. So for people who are kind of, you know, getting at him or poking the bear, so to speak, and just criticizing him for that, chastising him in any way, shape, or form, just cool relax he was being totally facetious with his statement did not mean anything by it at all because what do you say especially when you're just fresh off of losing uh in disappointing manner basically so of course he's gonna have an attitude about it who wouldn't and then Kyle Lowry stated that he just wants to win a ring that's it that's all he wants so we can take that into uh into you know speculation as far as where he wants to go or if he wants to stay in Toronto and trying to make it work. Now, let's get to what Masai Ujiri said during the locker cleanup presser. He said a lot. He said a lot. He was very candid, 
honest, blunt, and straight to the point. He basically said there's no point of me being here and answering these questions for you a day or two after we just got our asses kicked, basically. Because what can you say? It's not July 1st yet, so you can't say that uh, we're in talks of signing him right now. Um, you can't say who you're going to trade for, who you're going to trade, who you're going to let go, et cetera, et cetera. But he said all the things that were necessary, not just for lip service purposes, but things that needed to be said. And the most poignant thing that he said during that entire presser was the fact that this team needs a culture reset. A culture reset. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going to give that a cool job because that's probably the realest statement that I've heard from anyone in a press conference in quite some time. The man said one more time that this team, the Toronto Raptors, needs a culture reset. It's almost like he knows what the fans are saying. Basically, because I can have said it better myself. But nonetheless, he is absolutely right. This team does need a culture reset. And that could start with the players. It could start with the front office. It could start with the coaching staff. And my personal opinion is the fact that it does, in fact, start with the coaching staff. With that said, I think Dwayne Casey's time in Toronto has run out. Now, me personally, I have somewhat of, you could say, a love-hate relationship with Dwayne Casey. I love the fact that he's taken this team to the playoffs four straight years in a row, nothing that's ever been done before in this franchise's history. I love the fact that he gave us our first 50-win 50-plus win season in franchise history, which was last year, and took us as far as the Eastern Conference Finals. Could have done it in less games, but hey, that's neither here nor there. He took us there. That's the point. And I love the fact that he took us to another 51 season, despite the injuries that we went through throughout the entire year. However, the hate side comes into play when we see the plays that this guy draws up on offense, and they leave little to be desired by the imagination. Like I said before about ISO basketball, you can't do that in the playoffs because it becomes very redundant, it becomes very stagnant, and it becomes very predictable. Now, in the regular season, you can get away with it at times. And hell, the Raptors have been top three in offense efficiency for the last three years when it comes to ISO basketball. Hell, we've had the top, we've been within the top three seeds in the last three years. I remember two years ago, we started off the year at 24 and 7 and had the best record in the Eastern Conference for about 59 days straight off of that type of offense. But it can only get you so far if there's a lack of ball movement and no one's getting the ball and everyone's waiting and standing around for somebody to operate. It doesn't work consistently in our favor, which is why that type of offense is a shelf life, which is why I feel like even though he says he's a defensive-minded coach, you still need to have offense in the back of your mind as well. He's basically the reverse of Mike D'Antoni, if you think about it. And if you were to take the minds of Mike D'Antoni and Dwayne Casey, combine them, well, then you basically got Steve Kerr, if you think about it. But nonetheless, I digress. Um, I think his offense is stagnant. There's no ball moving. There's a lack of ball movement or creativity in general. Uh, there's not a, a lot of people moving around on the floor looking for the open shot, basically. No one cutting in. It's just very lackadaisical. Let me hold the ball for about 10 to 15 seconds into the shot clock and then hope for something to happen. You can't win ball games like that. 
And we've seen that too many times, win or lost by Casey. And it's almost like you're living on the edge in that regard. So I think it's time that we need a new face because I honestly feel like his words are falling on deaf ears. And I don't think anyone's buying into what he's trying to sell anymore. He keeps saying pound the rock, grind it out basketball. Like He's a great motivational speaker. But as a coach, when it comes to X's and O's, I don't see him taking the Raptors to that next level. I think he's capped at his potential as far as how far he can take this team. To me, he's kind of like a Doc Rivers. He's basically peaked at this point, unless if you were to have an all-star roster of God knows who. But with that said, I just don't see a future with this team. I don't see a future with him on this team any longer. And it's not to say that he doesn't deserve to have a job in the NBA. It's just that with this team, we have aspirations of getting higher. If he's going to a team that's like a bottom feeder right now, then sure, you know, kind of take them to the next level and see where he can go with that. But right now, we have higher expectations now that we've kind of tasted tasted just a little bit of the upper echelon in the league, uh, top or tier two, if you will. But I think it's time in Toronto is done, to be honest. I think that he has stayed in Toronto long enough. He's been here for about five years now, six years, give or take. Uh, he got hired here in the summer of 2011 under uh, under Mike Colangelo. And, you know, for a five-year, actually, well, six-year tenure, if you want to be technical now, that's a long time considering the shelf life of an NBA coach these days. You're lucky if you get past three years, let alone six so I think it's time for Masai to make a change in the coaching staff. And to his credit, Masai never got his pick of a coach. And normally when a new GM comes in, at the time he was the GM of the Raptors, they get to have their, their choosing of a new coach, basically. So he never got to have that. So I think now this is his opportunity to basically get himself a new coach that can create a brand new philosophy and culture for the Toronto Raptors that involves ball movement. And he did talk about that in his presser in regards to more creative offense. And I think this team, uh, maybe as currently constructed, you never know, depends. Um, ha- or more or less, I'll say, I'll say that, more or less has the pieces to make that possible. It reminds me of when Mark Jackson was uh, the coach of the Golden State Warriors before Steve Kerr. He had the defense down pat. But the offense was not that inspiring. It was kind of sluggish. It was very similar to the iso ball that the Raptors are playing right now or have been playing. So when they – we all were shocked when he got fired. But then when, when Steve Kerr got hired as the head coach, he he implored his team to share the ball more, distribute it more. And a couple, year, couple of seasons later, back-to-back um, – Appearances in the NBA Finals, NBA Championship two years ago, Steph Curry as your back-to-back MVP, and also the best overall regular season record in NBA history. So that says a lot to Steve Kerr's coaching acumen. Um, As far as who should be the head coach for the Raptors, I don't know. A lot of people have been saying Mark Jackson, um, but based on his resume in Golden State, I don't know if he would be the right guy. However, him being a player before a point guard at best, um, that could help. People are saying Jeff Van Gundy, but he hasn't coached in at least 10 years now. I think the last team he coached uh, was the Houston Rockets. Um, So I don't know if his style is a bit antiquated. Um, People are even saying uh, uh, Jerry Stackhouse based on his recent success with Raptors 905. But is he ready to take that helm? I mean, we never know. Jason Kidd, 
accepted a head coaching job immediately after retiring from the NBA. And he's done pretty well for himself so far. He's not like a world beater or anything, but he's done pretty well with all things considered. Um, if they want to cut cost, Jerry Stackhouse would be their prime choice, I'm assuming, mainly because of the fact that he's already a member of the assistant coaching staff and because of the fact that the players on that team already have a sense of familiarity with him. Like, they know him. He's already a part of the assistant coaching staff last season. Uh, he used to be a player. He used to be an all-star. So he already has the juice among the crowd, especially for someone like DeMar DeRozan, who played the same position as him. So he can teach him a thing or two on how to diversify on his offense and maybe even his defense as well. And also, should Larry stay, could give some pointers to him as well and all of that in general. Now, speaking of Lowry, let's get to Lowry. Um, not only Lowry, but also all the other upcoming free agents. So I'm going to leave Lowry for last because that one's a little tricky. Let's go with Ibaka first. So Ibaka, he needs to stay. This is the type of power forward or let's just say combo forward that the Raptors have been clamoring about ever since. I want to say as – oh, man, like, let's let's just talk about – at least three years ago. At least because we haven't had a power forward like this since Chris Bosh. Once Chris Bosh left, we didn't have any type of versatility out in the wings. And nobody got nobody tell me that Andrea Bargnani was that guy. Don't like his name doesn't even exist in my memory bank. So forget him. Um we've had to go through guys like Amir Johnson, Louis Scola, uh Tyler Hansbro, you name it. And no disrespect to those guys. Those guys did what they did, but there was still somewhat of a hole in that four spot. In comes Serge Ibaka, we get the guy that we need. Someone who's going to play post-defense, transition defense, and on the offensive side, shoot a three-ball when he's open in the court, whether it be a spot-up or transition. My only complaint about Serge Ibaka is that sometimes his defense on the wing when covering another stretch four can kind of waver a little bit. And also when he's in the post on the offensive end, he can't really create as far as posting up, dribbling, and putting it on the floor. He's more of a spot-up shooter on offense from what I've seen. Or, you know, a transition scorer, like running to the basket, cutting to the basket for a fast-break slam. I think if he can build upon that, and hopefully he can because he's still only 27, uh, he still has much more time, well, not much more time, but at least two or three more years to add that into his game before he begins to become complacent, then, you know, we can see why we can spend the money on him. And I think he's just naturally a center, a versatile one and athletic one at that. So that's his more natural position. So whether they want to keep him as like the mandatory five and have him transition into a four from time to time, that remains to be seen. Depends on what other moves they make, which I'll get into later. Uh, but I say they keep him. For how much? I say they pay him about, eh, let's say, give him like, I'd give him anywhere between a three-year to four-year deal worth $20 million per year, basically. So you're going to be paying him about 60 to $80 million. And if anything, give him like an opt-out option on the, on the uh, I would say, the fourth year, if anything, if they give him a four-year contract. Uh, let's see here. Let's go to P.J. Tucker. P.J. Tucker, um, first and foremost, you got to sign him. Like that, There's no ifs, ands, or buts. This guy changed the culture of the Toronto Raptors from a defensive end. That was primarily supposed to be Damari Carroll. But Carroll couldn't do that. And mind you, Carroll was injured last year for like 40 games, basically, and came back into play in March. So he kind of had to 
get himself reacclimated into the system. Uh, but then this year, he had a few more injuries as well. And he just hasn't looked the same. He hasn't looked like the Damari Carroll that we saw in Atlanta, who was a legitimate 3 and D player. In Toronto, for the most part, just mostly been a 3 player. So he'll get hot from 3 three-point range from time to time. He's around that 35% mark, and he's very streaky from that from that vicinity. So my opinion is, um, in regards to P.J. Tucker, he basically did what Carroll was supposed to do, which was cover your wings on the defensive end and then shoot three-pointers from, the peri- uh, or from the perimeter, of course, but shoot three-pointers on the other end of the floor, basically. And P.J. Tucker wasn't marketed as a three-point shooter. But he turned into a pretty decent one for all things considered. I think he ended the season with uh, 30%, uh, 36% from that range. So good on him for that. He'll knock down that open corner three-pointer for most of the time. Uh, the only flaw to him is that he's undersized for the position that he plays. Um, but you'll take that because of his grit, his toughness. And in my opinion, he is the real JYD 2.0, basically. And essentially, he took the roles of Patterson and and Carroll, which leads me to my next player, which is Patterson. Before we get to him, however, they should definitely re-sign P.J. Tucker, maybe to like a three-year deal, I would say, um, somewhere in like the $10 million range, basically. That's my contract for him. Now, going towards, uh, I don't even know how much he's getting paid, but maybe like $5 million, I'm thinking. But anyways, that's neither here nor there. Um, Patrick Patterson. I respect Patrick Patterson as a player. Uh, and I don't know him as a person. I don't know anyone that, uh, else on that team as a person for that matter. But they seem he seems like a very jovial individual. He's very he, – he has indoctrinated himself into the fabric of Toronto for the last four years, and he has grown and accepted this, this city as his own. And in return, the city has done that for him as well. Now, strictly from a, like a business standpoint, NBA standpoint, with all that said, I don't think the Raptors should renew his contract. I think they should let him walk. And the reason why I'm saying that is because of the inconsistencies that we've been noticing from Patterson for the last couple of years. The three-point shot, especially this year, has been very brutal for him. Um, mind you, he did have a, a leg injury, basically, and that may have hampered his his stroke, basically. But during the playoffs, however, we didn't see that same Patterson. That Patterson disappeared, and he just became a shell of his former self. And I think he knew that, too, because it came to the point where he was – Basically, trying to pass off the ball whenever he had an open three-point shot. And that's your role. You are a knockdown three-point shooter. You have to hit those open shots. And he would either try and pass it off or he would pump fake it and act like he's driving towards the lane. And when you're that wide open and you're a perennial shooter, you have to take that shot. That is your role. You're hurting the team if you don't take that. Um, so with that said, you can't, you can't re-sign all these guys. Someone has to go. At least one guy has to go. Two realistically have to go, but at least one guy has to go. And if one guy has to go, I'm going to choose Patterson. Because the 3 and D market nowadays in the NBA, it's very ripe. Like, there's so many for the taking. So it's not like we can't find another player of his skill set. Because we need a player of his skill set, but someone who can do it on a more consistent basis and someone who can stay healthy as well. So with all due respect to Patterson, I don't think the Raptors should renew his contract. Um, if they do, however, I do think that they'll probably get him for cheap because his production overall this season 
hasn't been the greatest, and the Raptors could use it as leverage to sign him to a much cheaper deal so that they could possibly maybe trade him for assets if that were the case somewhere down the line. Kind of like what they did for Terrence Ross, basically. But my opinion, don't re-sign him. I don't think they should re-sign him at all. Uh, and then that leads me to the most important one in the equation is Kyle Lowry. Kyle Lowry. I've been saying for the last four years now, sorry, five years, that this guy's the heart and soul of the Toronto Raptors. He is the one that brings that originally brought this team grit and guttiness. Like, I've, I saw this guy stealing balls from left, right, and center, playing defense, doing everything that he possibly can to help his team win uh, during the, the crappy years and during the better years as well. He is our heart and soul of this team. He leads the offense. Uh, he sets the tone on defense as well. And he has established himself as an undoubtedly top 10 point guard in this point guard-driven league and arguably at times a top five point guard in the league regardless of conference. I don't care what anyone says. You can call me a stand for that, but the numbers are there. He has proven that he should at the very least be in the discussion of top five point guards in the league. Now, a lot of people are saying because of the fact that he doesn't really show up in the playoffs as much as we would like him to, that he shouldn't be getting big money. But the fact of the matter is, for the last three years, he has been playing on a cheap contract, a cheap, dingy-ass contract. This guy's been playing for about, his deal is worth $48 million, but so far he's played about, let's say, do my math right now, $36 million of that, basically. So he's been getting paid $36 million for the last three years, and he has proven himself to be an upper echelon point guard in the league. We had him for cheap. We had him for cheap. He, pre, he is pretty much playing on a Stephen Curry contract right now because we all remember Stephen Curry's contract is about $48 million as well, and he got that cheap contract because of his injury issues, whereas Kyle Lowry, he just kind of peaked. Well, not peaked, but he sprouted basically. Now he's in his prime. We don't know where he's going to go from here. We don't know if he's still going to continue this level of play or if he's going to start to decrease because he's 31 years old and he's now had somewhat of a rough injury history. Both all that said, when you hire someone and you want them to do a job and you're going to pay them big money for it, you do it based on their resume. That's how it goes in the work world. And I definitely think that they should consider that with Kyle Lowry, whether it be the Toronto Raptors or anyone else. Now, as a new CBA goes and with the cap rising this summer, Kyle Lowry has the potential to sign off on a five-year deal worth $200 million, $207 million to be exact, whereas on any other team, he can sign a four-year deal worth up to about $153 million. Does Larry deserve big money? Yes, he does, based on his resume. Does he deserve $200 million? That's not for me to say, but if I were Masai and Jeff Weltman, I wouldn't sign him for that much. And that's only because of his age. If he were 27 right now and he accumulated this type of resume, sign off on that check. Regardless of his playoff pass, sign off on that check. Because if, 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 if it's no question to give Chris Paul $200 million, then it should be no question to give Kyle Lowry $200 million if that's the case. Now, I'm not saying we should give him that money, but I think what they should do is they should 
try and coerce somewhat of a hometown discount, much like what they did for DeMar DeRozan. Because if you remember last season, last offseason, they could have given him upwards of $153 million. But they were able to negotiate with them, and they gave him $139 million to give him a little bit extra room in the cap, basically. Um, they should do the same with Kyle Lowry. Uh, I would sign him somewhere in the $170 to $180 range because at the end of the day, you could still make that – he still can't make that much money elsewhere. And he says he wants to win a ring. So with all these teams that are coming out of the woodworks as possible suitors, like the Denver Nuggets because they have the cap room – or because of the, or the Philadelphia 76ers because that's his home team and players want to play for their home team, which is bullshit in my opinion. Um, it only makes sense to sign with a contender. Raptors are still, you know, despite it being a weaker conference, a contender in that conference. It's still going to be a top three seed in the Eastern Conference, which means mathematically they are contenders. Now, you can ch- chalk it up to anything else, but hey, that's – that's the reality of the situation. They are contenders in their conference, basically. Um, the only other team I would think that he should sign to would be the San Antonio Spurs. That would be his best situation if he wants to win a ring because, obviously, San Antonio is a better team. They're a top-tier team. They're an elite team. Um, they have veteran coaching in Popovich, a veteran system, a system that works, a system that involves a lot more ball movement, and in a system where he is not the primary option. Option number one is Kawhi Leonard. So he's going to take some of the offensive load off of him. And then option number two could rotate between him and also LaMarcus Aldridge, basically. They can trade in that regard. So that would be the best situation for him to win a ring. A better situation over there than in Toronto, if I had to be objectively speaking, of course. So if the Raptors do sign him, I think they should. They should sign him for a deal somewhere in the $170, $180 range based on his resume because I think he deserves it based on the work that he's accumulated over the last uh, three seasons in particular. The man was all NBA 13 last year. I mean, that has to account for something. Um, and then, yeah, his stats. Like, look at the numbers. 22.4 points a game, uh, 7.8 assists per game, 4.5 rebounds a game. For a person who's six feet tall, that's pretty impressive. Also, 41% from three-point range. At the beginning of the season, he was averaging 45% from three-point range, which is absurd. One and a half steals per game, top five in the league in uh, three-point percentage, a three-point mix, and also top five in the league in drawing offensive charges. The man's resume speaks for itself. Uh, so that's who, so that's my opinion. I definitely think that they should re-sign him or make an effort to. I think they will. I think it's pretty evident that they will because their success has been based on him. He's been the focal point of that. With all due respect to DeMar DeRozan and company, he's been the captain of that ship. So I think they should re-sign him. Now, as far as who they should trade away in order to relieve some cap room, basically, whether it's you know to bring in like future draft picks or or to have some leverage to trade for a better version of what they're trading to. Um, Damari Carroll, he's got to go. I'm sorry. Based on what I said about Damari Carroll earlier, I think that's enough for him to warrant a trade, basically. He's not the 3 and D that we, were, that we are promised, and because of that, he has performed poorly uh, in the eyes of the fans and, I'm sure, staff. I don't think they, they'll say it in public, but pardon me. I think he should go. I think that's the obvious choice right there. He needs to go. So trade away Damari Carroll. Um, Jonas Valanciunas, I don't hate him. I don't hate Jonas Valanciunas. I think he's a good player. I just think that the way he plays is very antiquated. 
Um, but it does work for some teams. If you're in San Antonio, it would work. If you're in Memphis, it would work. I just think that the way that the current system that's in play right now does not work to the benefit of JV. Now, I'm not going to blame all of that on the system. Some of it does rely on him. He's not good in the pick and roll on the defensive end. He can't roll to his opponent that quickly. He's a little stocky as well. If you shed a few pounds, I'm not even trying to be a dick when I say that, but if you shed a few pounds to make himself a bit more agile, uh, he may, may be able to keep up with his defenders on transition if that were the case. Uh, he's good offensively. He knows how to create his own shot. He's good in the post. I, I dig that about him, but his defense needs to improve. He needs to be a bit of a, a rim protector right now because to me, he's our version of Enes Cantor, pretty much. Um, and because of that, I think he needs to go as well. Um, but it all depends on what coach we end up getting if we do get a new coach and if this new coach wants to implore a more modern small ball style of basketball. If that's the case, move Ibaka to the full-time center position and then trade JV to another team that may be in use of his services. That's my opinion. Um, I don't think that we should trade Corey Joseph. He's proven that he's one of the best backup point guards in the league. Um, and to have him as a backup point guard is a luxury in and of itself. We need to keep him. Um, and then I think those are the only players who have been rumored to be a part of any type of trade rumors or anything of the sort. So I think they should re-sign Lowry before a fair deal, re-sign Ibaka, re-sign Patterson, uh, and then keep Corey Joseph, keep him out of the trade rumors, and then trade – uh, trade Carroll for sure. Uh, trade JV, depending on who they get as a coach, if they do get a new coach. Uh, but if they want to go for a small ball style, despite getting a new coach or not, then trade him. Um, and then let Patterson walk. Those would be the moves that I would make. Those would definitely be the moves that I would make if I were Masai, Jeff Weltman, and company, but I'm not. I'm just a journalist slash on-air personality over here, just thinking out loud slash fan. Once again, thinking out loud. Uh, but what do you guys think? Should these deals go down? Should they be put in place? Hit me up on Twitter at DM underscore cool or cool underscore radio to share your thoughts. Uh, I didn't realize that I was going to go that long on this segment. But then again, it has been a week and I've been meaning to talk about that. So our show is going to end a little bit short tonight. But before we do end it off, man, you guys know I can't end off this show without giving y'all that wankster. So on that note, <clears throat> who has entered the shallow walls of the Hall of Shame this week? And who has been crowned the captain of Coonery this week? It is time for another edition of Wankster of the Week. This week's Wankster of the Week has to go to the twerk queen herself, Miley Cyrus. So Miley Cyrus is getting the Wankster of the Week because of the fact that she did an interview uh, with Billboard magazine. And it was the cover story of that uh, issue for the month and she was talking about the new image that she's going through and the new music that she's going to be putting out and the new sound that she's working with and basically saying that she's going for a more wholesome uh, from her roots type of sound basically which is fine as an artist you want to evolve and grow etc etc now she was talking about the hip-hop sound that she was going for within the last three or four years and she basically kind of pushed hip-hop under the rug, or threw it under the bus, rather. So when discussing um, hip-hop and why she kind of deviated away from that sound, here's what she said, and I quote. Uh, she was talking about the, the, the twerking and, and the commercialization of it and what have you. So this is what she said. 
That's what pushed me out of the hip-hop scene a little. It was too much Lamborghini, got my Rolex, got a girl on my cock. I am so not that. Really now? Really, Miley? You're so not that? Because as we recall, we remember you twerking at the VMAs and twerking at the Juicy J concerts. But now that you you know shed that image, you're not all about that anymore. I wish I had the why the hell you lying on my deck right now because I'd be playing that straight in and out. But nonetheless, it speaks for itself. Because at the end of the day, a lot of people, when they saw that uh, post article, whatever you want to call it, a lot of people were calling cultural appropriation and stuff like that. And we discussed that with my man Galathpaw earlier on the show. And to a certain extent, you could consider that cultural appropriation because she used that, she used hip hop as a way to gain new fans and to become the discussion of the week and of the month and of the year, basically. And then now she's discarding it. And she's almost sounds like she's placing blame on hip hop for that ugly downward spiral that she had during that time period. And that's something that I don't appreciate. Now, for me, here's what I say. Or here's what I said, rather, back in those days when she was doing the twerk thing. People were calling cultural appropriation then. Me, I didn't care because hip-hop is more about twerking. You know what I mean? So if you want to take that and put it as your persona, then by all means, we will give you twerking. Please take twerking. Like, Never mind any of the, the true artistic aspects of hip-hop culture. You can take twerking. You can have our, our, our raw bones, our crumbs, our shillings, our pennies. Take that and run with it. By all means, you're not going to get that cultural appropriation argument out of me. I could care less. But if you're going to use that to blame if you're going to use that and blame hip-hop on your misfortunes during that three or four-year stretch and how you are made to be a fool – then that's on you. That is definitely on you. No one told you to dress up like a hoochie every single performance that you're at and twerk your small little itty-bitty ass that look like poultry that you can get at no frills. No one told you to do that, boo-boo. You did that all by your damn self. Normally, the label will tell you to do stuff like that, but no one told you to do it but you, sweetheart. And the label said, okay, whatever, and they ran with it. And you have you and yourself to blame for making yourself look like a fool. So when you want to blame hip-hop for your down fortunes, look at yourself in the mirror and ask yourself why you did it. I understand you're a Disney kid. You want to rebel and break out and everything. But don't blame hip-hop. Blame that on your own insecurities. So with that said, do you deserve this, Wankster? Of course you do. And I'm going to drop it on you just like this. And that is our show for tonight, ladies and gentlemen. I want to thank y'all for tuning in, as you always do. We have another live show for you guys next week, so make sure you tune in. We may have a guest for that, so I'll keep y'all informed. And once again, you can find Cool Radio at Cool underscore Radio on Twitter, at Cool underscore Radio on SoundCloud, and Cool Radio CC on YouTube and Facebook. And remember... Uh, cool Radio is the division of Cool Click Media Reminding you each and every day that we are creating our own legacies Keep it gravy and wavy, we are out of here Peace Cool